You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get, we make a life by what we give. I got a different saying, not as intellectual as Winston Churchill, it goes like this, do your giving while you're living, then you're knowing where it's going. And here's where it should be going. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. In today's message from Pastor Danny, he teaches us the importance of not storing our treasure here on earth. When we store our treasure here on earth, it quickly erodes away. However, when we store our treasure in heaven, it's everlasting. Therefore, we should put our investments toward the things that further the message of the gospel and God's kingdom work. We should be a church who is generous and gives to what advances the kingdom. Now here's Pastor Danny with part two of today's edition of The Living Word from the book of Acts chapter 11. George Fox in the year 1640 stood before a Justice Bennett. And Justice Bennett said to George Fox, I bid you tremble at the word of the Lord. The guy went out and started a Christian movement. And guess what they called him? Quakers. <laughs> Quakers. You know how the Methodists got theirs? They got theirs because of their systematic, methodical pursuit of holiness. And they were called Methodists. One more. In the early days of the Calvary Chapel movement, the Calvary Chapel movement was really the Jesus movement. And the Jesus movement, the people who were giving their lives to Jesus in those days by the hundreds and thousands became known as Jesus people. Jesus people. Do we need a new name? Doesn't matter. It's not going to happen. We at least need a fresh testimony of what real Christianity is all about. These are real Christians. They were first called Christians in Antioch. What was it that brought that about? That they would be called, looked at and called Christian. Well, before we talk about four things from the text, every one of us, if we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, ought to be making a name. I said last night a name for ourselves, but really a name for God. A name for God. A name that reflects the glory of God and that reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by our lifestyle, by who we are and what we do, we ought to be looked at as biblically, biblically, people ought to know we're Christians, not just because I'm a Christian, not just say I'm a Christian. They ought to see it. They ought to know it. 
And while we're to do that personally, we also want to do that as a church fellowship. Look at the churches in the Bible, in the New Testament, Ephesians 1. Paul writes, Ephesians 1, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, for all the saints. Now that changed over the years with the church at Ephesus. That's why the letter to the church of Ephesus in Revelation, about 40 years later, I think, Jesus called them to repent. Why? Because they left their first love. They left their first love. But they were known in the early days, for the love for all the saints. Church of Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model for the believers in Macedonia. You, you know, one of the things the Lord's done for us as a church fellowship, you know one of the things we're known for out here? People hear that we don't take an offering during the services. And yet they see the building and all that we're doing, and that takes money, and they go, How, you don't even take an offering? How are you doing all that you're doing? I get that question. I go, we, we rob, we steal. We, we, we take people's wallets and purses when they come into service. If you're new with us, we don't do that. You got yours, right? You still got it. Okay, good, leave with it. Leave all your money on the, on the seat, but go, take your wallet. No, just, sometimes you just try to be, after they've already laughed, don't try to be funny again. 2 Corinthians, verse 8. Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And they became examples. So you can become an example personally as an individual Christian and also as a church fellowship. You can make a name for Christ. In a very good way. What was it about these Christians at Antioch that they were dubbed Christians? Well, the first one you might not think about, but it's right in the text. It's a key verse in the text. They were well-fed believers. And you'll never become the Christian that God wants you to be without this. Romans 12, verse 2, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In the context of Scripture, the renewing of your mind is talking about renewing your mind with the word of God. Peter wrote it this way. First Peter chapter two, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Grow up. Jesus prayed, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Now some of us have heard this many times. We need to hear it again. Jesus, it says, he left that place, went into the regions of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him and as was his custom, as was his custom, he taught them. I have to believe when it tells us in our text in Acts 11 that Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people for a whole year, for a whole year. I have to believe when with the rest of scripture and you look at it, you have to believe it was more than a Sunday or a Sunday and a Wednesday. I think it was more than likely daily. Anybody that could come daily. That was the church in Jerusalem. Daily they met in the temple courts and daily the apostles were teaching. Either way, I I don't think in any way it was just one or two days a week. So what I'm saying is, if it's more than that, then they're getting a lot of the word in a very short amount of time. A lot of the word in a very short amount of time. It honestly grieves me deeply when I meet people. I meet people here often and they've moved here from somewhere else and they've been visiting churches. They're looking for a church home. Everybody ought to have a local church fellowship that they call their local fellowship. Everybody ought to have one and be plugged in. But it grieves me. I mean, it really grieves me when I hear People that go to so many churches and they say they're just not teaching the Bible. 
They're not teaching the Bible. And what are they teaching? I don't get it. And you you wonder why the church can be so shallow. It is shallow without the really good feeding of the word of God. We need it. We need it. I so appreciate Pastor Pastor's Willow Creek Church up north. I appreciate their humility because years ago they introduced the seeker-sensitive movement to churches and church leaders in America. Now, I'm speaking some way generally, but just listen. This is all true, and they, and they, they admit it. Preaching generally was out. Relevance was in. Churches began being built by demographic studies. They used professional strategists. They did marketing research. They sought to meet the felt needs of people. Innovation often took precedence over doctrine. If it wasn't cutting edge and consumer friendly, it was out. The mention of sin, salvation, and sanctification were replaced by Starbucks strategy and sensitivity. In those days, satellite seminars were packed, packed with church leaders itching to learn the latest way to do church. A few years ago, Bill Hybels and Willow Creek Church did a multi-year study of the effectiveness of their programs and philosophy of ministry. The report is detailed in a book that came out that they put out, Reveal, Where Are You? The report reveals that most of what they have been doing for many years and what they've taught millions of others to do did not produce solid disciples of Jesus Christ. Numbers, yes, but not solid disciples. Let me read you what Bill Hybels writes in the book. Some of the stuff that we've put millions of dollars into thinking it would really help our people grow and develop spiritually, when the data came back, it wasn't helping people that much. Other things that we didn't put that much money into and didn't put much staff against is stuff our people are crying out for. We made a mistake. God bless you both. What we should have done when people crossed the line of faith and became Christians, we should have started telling people and teaching people that they have to take responsibility to become self-feeders. We should have gotten people, taught people how to read their Bible between services, how to do spiritual practices much more aggressively on their own. Amen. A well-fed church will naturally grow if one thing happens in that well-fed church. If people do what they hear, if they do what they hear. Pastor Chuck used to often say, healthy sheep naturally reproduce. Healthy sheep naturally reproduce. What's the second thing about this church in Antioch that marked them as Christians? It's what I just said. They did more than merely listen to the word. James 1, very clear, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Ezekiel was a great prophet of the Old Testament, but I would not want his ministry. You know one of the main reasons I would not want his ministry? Most of those prophets, I wouldn't want their ministry. Most of them got killed. (laughs) Please, Lord, no. But Ezekiel chapter 33, God tells Ezekiel about his ministry. It wasn't a small ministry. It was a large ministry. But he tells him about the heart of his ministry with people. Verse 31, chapter 33 of Ezekiel. My people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. Their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed to them, you're nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well, for they hear your words, but do not put them into practice. He must have been a great speaker because a lot of people came to hear him. But God tells him, of all the people that are coming to hear you, eh, they're not. They're not doing what I'm saying through you. 
I'm going to be flat honest with you. As much as I can judge my own heart, I'd rather pastor a church of 50 people where 48 out of 50 did what I taught because I'm teaching the word of God than hundreds of people or thousands of people where you have the majority that don't do it. I really would love to have a smaller group. And I'm not saying we have a large group and you're not doing the word. That's not what I'm saying. But if you're not doing the word, I'm speaking to you right now. <laughs> I want Haggai's ministry. You're about Haggai, that little uh, Old Testament book of Haggai. Haggai went out and proclaimed the word of the Lord and they repented and they started doing what God said. They did the word. And it transformed their lives. They became different people every week, month, year. They, they, they were being transformed. They, they were being changed through the ministry of the word. Giving up worship of idols, immoral lifestyles, set free from addictions, better workers on the job, better neighbors, better family members, better husbands. Because what were they teaching? They were teaching the things you read that the apostle Paul and others wrote in the New Testament. Things like Ephesians, where Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Children, be obedient. Lives were being changed. Families were being changed. I mean, it was radical. All of a sudden, he didn't want to, he didn't want to divorce now. He wanted to be married to her. He wanted to commit himself to her. You know, all of a sudden, she's a different wife. You're not the one I married. You know, and your kids, you're getting ready to kill them. And now you say, you don't have to leave now and we're going to let you live. (laughs) Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's the kind of things they were teaching. Sound doctrine. And the people were getting it, man. They were going away and their lives were being changed and their families were being transformed. And the world saw it. You're not the same guy I used to work with. You're not the same neighbor I used to have. You don't talk like you used to talk. Man, when Danny Hodges got saved, I mean, people that knew me before I gave my life to Christ, you talk about a different person. I tell you, one of the first things changed, my speech. I was GD this, and I I had a foul mouth. I know you can't see that now, you know? Now, I I didn't say I haven't cussed ever since becoming a Christian. Come on now. But overall, it's been pretty good. Now, don't look at me like that. Even though you haven't said it, you were thinking it. You hit your hammer, you hit the thumb with the hammer, and your first thought wasn't praise the Lord. I know what you were thinking. Same thing I was thinking. Man, you talk about a radical change. I'd go bowling on Friday night with the youth group at the church. Bowling? Now, I know for the bowlers, don't send me an email. You want to go bowling, that's fine. But in my day, going bowling wasn't cool. We'd go out to Clear Pond. We'd kick back the tequila and the lime for the chaser. We'd roll a few marijuana joints. We knew how to party, buddy, let me tell you. We knew how to party. And now all that's gone. I was immoral, and now I just want to be pure before the Lord. I mean, you're talking about a difference. People go, where's the Danny Hodges we used to know? He's dead. He died. And what I'm, I'm trying to keep him in the grave. He keeps trying to come back out. I'm trying to keep him down. Kick him. Get out there. <laughs> I thought we couldn't reproduce last service, and now it's totally different again. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening. It's like I'm on drugs again. It's the Holy Spirit now. Get down. (laughs) He's so funny. Uh, uh, Oh, gosh. (laughs) I feel like you ever seen the the old Scrooge movie where Scrooge, the old black and white one? That's the best Scrooge, man, where he says, I I just can't help it. I'm so happy. I can't help it. Because I'm saved, man. I'm saved. I'm a different guy. I'm just different now. Praise the Lord. So they were well-fed, and they're not just hearing it. They're going away, and they're doing it, and it's transforming their lives. I'll tell you a third thing. They were a giving church. Again, if I take it literally, every single person in that church 
when the prophetic word went out, there's a famine coming and our Jewish brothers and sisters are going to be affected by the famine. They said, hey, they pull out their wallet. They pull out their purse. And as they were able, everybody gave. Must have been a generous offering. They were giving church. And a real Christian, they give more than they take. Just as you excel in everything, Paul said, in the context of the Macedonian churches that gave out of their extreme poverty. In faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and your love for us, see that you excel also in this grace of giving. We don't have it recorded, but we know he said it because Acts tells us that Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. I got a different saying, not as intellectual as Winston Churchill. It goes like this. Do your giving while you're living. Then you're knowing where it's going. And here's where it should be going. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I'll give you one last one. This is an important one. They had a missionary mindset and they lived it out. You know who the greatest missionary ever was? Jesus. Jesus is the greatest missionary ever. You can't, no matter, okay, let's say you give your life and God calls you to go to some remote place and leave the comforts of America. God bless you if he calls you. But that don't even come close to what Jesus left. You left America. Jesus left heaven. He left the glories of heaven that he had been with in total fellowship with his father before the beginning of time. From eternity past, and he was willing to go take on human flesh, come into this cursed world and give his life. Nobody takes his, my life. That's what he said. Nobody takes my life. I lay it down. He's the greatest missionary ever. And here's what, here's what he said about himself. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. I love the stories in the gospels. Some people say, I found God. No, you did not. You got it wrong. You may think you found God. You wouldn't find God unless God's looking for you. Jesus said, nobody comes to me unless the father draws him. You don't come, God comes looking for you. The hound of heaven, here he come. He's looking for you. Came to seek and to save, that was, was lost. One of my favorite stories about Jesus begins like this, John chapter four, here's how it opens. And he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria, why? Good Jews didn't go through Samaria. They bypassed Samaria because there's bitter, bitterness, bitterness, no social, no friendship between Samaritans and Jews. Because when the Assyrians captured Jerusalem and, and took a bunch of Jews back to Assyria, some of those Jews intermarried with the Assyrians. And when they come back to the land years later, the ones who had been taken in the Babylonian captivity and did not intermarry, wasn't a racial thing, it was a spiritual thing. Wasn't racial, spiritual. And the ones who had not intermarried with the Babylonians despised the ones who had intermarried with the Assyrians. And they were known as the Samaritans. Samaritans. And Jesus had to go through Samaria. Because there's a Samaritan woman there who'd been looking for love in all the wrong places. She comes to get water at high noon. That's not when you come to get water. Why does she come at noon and not during the morning, during the cool of the day? Because she's got a reputation. She didn't have a lot of friends in that town. Especially among the women. Because she's had a lot of their men. She's had five husbands. One she's living with is not her husband. Jesus comes to her, asks her for a drink of water. She says, I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. You ask me for a drink of water? She's taken aback. He said, if you knew the one asked you, you would ask him for a drink and he'd give you living water and you'd never thirst again. 
Sir, the the well is deep. Give me this water. Where are you going to get this water? Give me this water. Go call your husband. Come back. We'll continue the conversation. I don't have a husband. You're right in saying you don't have a husband. You've had five. And the one you're living with is not your husband. She runs back to the town. She tells me, she said, I just might have met a guy tell me everything I ever done. The whole town comes out to hear Jesus. And in that story, Jesus lived out a missionary mindset. And I'll close with this. You got to be willing to cross some barriers to reach people for Christ. Willing to cross some barriers. That's what real Christians do. That's what real Christians do. Jesus crossed traditional barriers to go to the woman at the well. Traditional barriers. Thank God for Pastor Chuck. He's with the Lord now. Going to see you soon. Some people don't know that Pastor Chuck, being the man God used in the Jesus movement and the birthing and the movement of the Calvary chapels, <laughs> he had nothing in common with the hippies that were being raised. Nothing. He grew up in a four-square home, four-square Pentecostal, very strict. He's never touched alcohol, not once. He's never smoked, never touched a cigarette. He hates cigarettes. Very strict upbringing. Never anything to relate to the hippies. And that's mainly who he's reaching for Christ. You talk about crossing traditional barriers. He didn't tell them they had to get their hair cut. He didn't tell them you have to stop playing that rock and roll music. As a matter of fact, he brought the rock and roll music into the church services. The first time that first group love song, that's a love song played at Calvary Chapel, they told Pastor Chuck, they said, well, he asked him to play from one of the services after they came into his office. He said, well, go, you got any instruments? Can you play something for me? Because they tell him they're musicians and they just gotten saved, all right? And they're rock and rollers, hippies. <laughs> and Pastor Chuck has them play something for him. And then he said, well, can you play next Wednesday or something like that at the service? He says, yeah, we'd love to, but you know, we have one band member short because he's in jail serving a marijuana charge, you know? And, but he'll come back with us as soon as he gets out. And that's what he brought into the church, these long-haired rock and roll hippies. You talk about crossings from traditional berries for the cause of Christ. Thank God for men like Pastor Chuck. Thank God. Jesus crossed some racial barriers. Bitter, bitter hatred between Jews and Samaritans because of what I just said. You want to hear some examples? Jewish rabbis in the day would say, let no man eat the bread of the Kuthites. That's the Samaritans. For he who eats the bread, their bread is as he who eats swine flesh. When his enemies wanted to really insult Jesus, here's what they would say. John 8, 47, Jesus said, he who belongs to God, here's what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you don't belong to God. And the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon possessed? He crossed some social barriers for sure. Let's be reminded, there's to be no social classes in the church of Jesus Christ. I don't care what your bank account looks like and what kind of car you drive. There's total equality in the church of Jesus Christ. And he crossed some geographical barriers. Let me just ask you in closing. I'm not going to keep you over time. A lot of us get our routine down in life. You know, you go to work. You go to play sports. You got certain programs that you watch on TV regularly. My wife and I have certain programs we're watching. And they change over the years. Like one of the ones we watch fairly regularly now is Shark Tank. Anybody watch Shark Tank? I love Shark Tank. My wife and I love sitting watching Shark Tank. Eating some fruit and cheese and watch Shark Tank. Would you pray for my wife? She won't let me have a TV in the bedroom. And so, and so I, I watch Shark Tank, and sometimes I fall asleep in the recliner downstairs watching a program with my wife, and she's such a liar. She claims that she tries to wake me up when I fall asleep. And I wake up 4 a.m. in that recliner. I hate sleeping in the recliner. Would you pray for my wife that she let me get a TV for the bedroom? <laughs> Wives, submit to yourselves to your husbands as unto the Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
people this past week had to make some sacrifices and get out of a normal routine to be willing to go on a team up to Tarpon Springs for the cause of Christ. Would you at least consider maybe something you could do that may be out of the routine, but you could do something for the cause of Christ and God would use you to make a difference? Because that's what a missionary mindset does. we meet in the book of Acts weren't superheroes. They weren't angels in disguise, nor were they born with more privilege and intelligence than the average human being. These were just ordinary people doing their jobs and doing the best they could, until Jesus changed everything. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection flipped the world upside down, changing the way God was seen and opening up the reality of salvation to every person. That salvation hasn't changed. We all still need Jesus to save us from death. And just like these ordinary members of the early church, we can let the grace we've received flip our world upside down. Now we can live for Christ, sharing Him with the world around us and extending the Holy Spirit to everyone we meet. We're so glad you tuned in for today's message on the Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. This ministry is a product of the messages Pastor Danny teaches at Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. If you're in the area, come join us this weekend. We meet on Saturday at 6 p.m. and again on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Join us for a time of fellowship and Bible study, digging into God's Word as a collective group of imperfect believers. Find out more at our website, ccfstpete.church. That website again is ccfstpete.church. You can listen to past messages from Pastor Danny while you're there, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's all we have time for today. Tune in next time to study more from the Book of Acts right here on The Living Word. We'll be right back. 